Hi, my name is Rhonda Minga, and I would like to welcome you today to Freedom Ministries in Crossford, Arkansas. I invite you to connect with us online at freedomministriescrossit.com. Now let's take the time to pray before we tune in to today's message. Lord, I lift you up, and I just pray that you draw us by your Spirit. I pray that you show us your Word. You give us great and mighty revelations of who you are and how you want to move in and through us. Lord, be with these people as they tune in now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I like that saying. He's here, but he's coming. Lord, that we can get fuller, Lord. Lord, make us... Let us be so full we look like the land around here, God, that it's, it's just drenched. God, we've felt it inside of us before, but God, let it be evident. Nobody can drive down these roads without saying, there's a flood happening in this place. And God, when people see us, say, let them see. God, let us be so saturated, so filled up, God. Ah, it's running out everywhere, God. It's overflowing. Lord, we don't want just enough for us. We want enough for the world, Lord. You said out of our belly would flow rivers of living water, God. Rivers. Rivers. Unending supply. Unending supply of rivers. Rivers of the Spirit of God. Life-changing rivers. Deliverance rivers. Healing rivers. Out of our body, miracle rivers, abundance rivers, revival rivers, rivers of awakening. Let those rivers flow out of us, God. God, we don't even know what's inside of us. Lord, we don't realize you said you'll do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything we can believe or ask for. Ha. Woo. Because who's living inside of us? Who's dwelling inside of us? Whoa. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> do it tonight, God. Do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond, Lord. Anything. What does that look like, Lord? Lord, when people were around you, they came away amazed and perplexed. (laughs) Let us walk out tonight saying, what in the world was that? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Good evening. Ha! It's good to be in the house of the Lord. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Uh, it's worth every hour of driving. Of course, I didn't drive. Brother Terry drove. Praise God. He, he does a good job, too. Amen. We just get to be in the Holy Ghost. Does that, uh, does that baptistry work? I feel like we ought to baptize people tomorrow. You know, there's, sometimes we think of it as symbolism, the the symbolism of the death of the old man and the birth of the new man, but Scripture says there's a circumcision of the flesh that takes place. 
And I believe some of you have been struggling with stuff. I believe God's when we baptize, it's not just a symbol. God didn't just give us to do this to get wet. But I believe God does something. He, when we're obedient to Him, He does something in that. I, I believe you're saved because you accepted Jesus Christ in. But He commanded, it's the first command to be baptized. There may be some in here that have not been baptized. And there may be some you, I've probably been baptized eight or nine times. It don't hurt to do your first works over again. It don't hurt when you feel like, you know, when we went to Brownsville, the best thing people could say was, I got born again again. And a lot of them got baptized again. Woo. We were in uh, the last baptisms I remember was Hackleburg, Alabama. And we had revival for a couple of weeks in January of that year, about 2016, I believe. And uh, so we're going to have baptisms. It was the end. We had like three days a week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I believe, for a couple of weeks. And so they drew the water. And we had one person said they were going to get baptized. By the time the night was over, 42 people got baptized. And that wasn't, that wasn't new salvation, it was just people. There was something in the water. And it was amazing, some people, there were steps coming up to the baptistry, and some of them had to be carried up the steps to be put in the water and then carried back down the steps. Woo. And there was, uh, there was just gold dust all in the water. The glory of the Lord was just in the water. It, it was amazing. I just, when I, I haven't even noticed that baptistry until I was up here, and I'm like, Oh, they got a baptism back there. And I felt like God said, we need to, can we get that filled up in a day? <laughs> We're going to pour a little oil in that thing. Woo, I'll tell you something's going to happen. How many helpers can get in there? <laughs> it's big, huh? Woo! I have a feeling something's going to happen. Woo! Yeah, amen, amen. Yes, I... There's... Definitely something going on. And, uh, you know, if you stay in the desert too long, you'll get dried out. So it's good to be in a place where there's a little rain coming down. So, I, you know, what's happening is we're getting more saturated and more saturated and more saturated. And it's just getting to where it's uh, heaven's beginning to take over. He's taking up residence and he's taking over. He's, he's been a guest too long. <laughs> and come on. He's just been a guest. He comes and goes. But he's ready to take up residence inside. He's coming to have his way. Woo. I mean, that's basically what revival is. God comes to take up residence inside of these temples. 
And if we can be, if people can be demon possessed, they ought to be able to be Holy Ghost possessed. I mean, woo! What would that kind of person look like that's just Holy Ghost possessed? I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I want to be conformed into his life. Amen. Ha. Woo, that would look pretty exciting. What's been fun, last weekend we got to be at Conway and we spent a, a day with um, Apostle Angie. And <laughs> Elder Dana. Did I say that right? Dan. Dan. Book them, Dano. Okay. <laughs> Miss Monica. And uh, they stayed over Monday so we could preach at uh, a Mission Church, Gap Mission Church. And that was awesome for them to come with us. And uh, then we got in the van and we went over to. Brother Richard's house after we ate, and some kind of party broke out in that place. <laughs> Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party, because the Holy Ghost party don't stop. It's amazing, you know, they overcame him by, the, by the, the word of their testimony, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And Brother Richard's in there, and he just started talking about a time when Miss Darla had been over to a friend of mine's church, and David Hogan was there, and he'd prayed over her fire cloth. And it's amazing because Richard didn't know nothing about it. And Darla came into church on Sunday, just walked by him, and went, He said his body was hurting all over. I mean, he, had a, he fell off a ladder some years ago and messed his hip up, and he walks with a limp, and there's times where he really hurts, especially he still works, and he puts up on that ladder, it hurts. He said, my joints were hurting, my hips were hurting, everything I had was hurting, I just barely got into church. She went, Phew. The next thing, he was up, and he danced for two hours. Danced all over the church. I mean, like, how can that be? And he didn't have, nobody told him, oh, that rag's been anointed by David Hogan. It's been prayed over. She just walked in and went, and <laughs> it was on after that. So, I mean, to, to the natural mind, that doesn't make any sense that there could be an impartation. You know, especially the religious crowd, I, I went to church and preached in Phoenix, and later on I read their doctrine and constitution and bylaws just to see what they believe, because I didn't, and they said, we do not believe in impartation. I thought, oh, man, and I called everybody up for impartation. <laughs> it's better to read things after, you know, you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I mean, <laughs> but we just don't, when God tells us to use something, you just don't, I mean, you don't know, let him take care of that deal and we have evidence for that that uh, Acts 19 said they took rags off Paul's body and prayed for the sick and demons came out laid those rags on people and demons came out and the sick were healed but you know the woman that pressed through the crowd 
Because she said, at least if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I could be healed. Do you know that two chapters later, he came up on the shore and they went and got everybody and brought them. And they said, at least let us touch the hem of your garment. And every one of the crowd that touched the hem of his garment was healed. So that lady had a breakthrough in what looked like unusual. Nobody else had pressed through the crowd and grabbed the hem of his garment. But people were around watching and said, oh, that's working for her. Maybe it'll work for me too. And so when, it's amazing. Two, two chapters later when they came back, everybody came and said, let's just, if we can just touch his garment, we could be healed. We were in India one time. We had a chair and we had a... Uh, had a group of people in a village and preached to them and had a few get saved. And I noticed one woman limping pretty badly, and I told the ladies, pray for her. And they started praying. I said, no, her hip, her leg, something. I didn't have a word of knowledge. I just saw it. And so they put her in that chair and started praying for her. In a couple of minutes, she's healed. She'd, had a, she'd been on a bus and stepped off too soon, or the bus took off, and it messed her leg up, throwed her off the bus. And then somebody else got in the chair. A few minutes they were healed. Somebody else got in the chair and a few minutes they were healed. Pretty soon they started fighting over getting in the chair. I mean, people were lined up to get in that chair because everybody for the next two hours that sat in that chair got healed. Now, if I'd have been smart, we'd have carried that chair all over India. <laughs> it wasn't because the chair was magical or because... You know, it was just a plastic, a white plastic chair like you can buy at Walmart. But what it was, was God was flowing in that at that time. And so that's what it's up to us to do is to learn where he's flowing at. How are you flowing? I mean, that's what worship takes us into. We, we get in the veins of worship and we kind of flow around here and try to see, okay, God, where are you at? We're, we're not trying to attract you to our program. We're trying to get tuned into your program. If we can get tuned into your program, heaven's coming down. Woo! Woo. Yeah, it's going to be really good. <laughs> Woo! It's like when somebody over here touches somebody and they start laughing. And everybody stands over here and watches. I'm like, why don't you go over there and get... I mean, we need to start watching what's happening. When God starts moving right over here in the corner... We don't need to be, well, I wish that would happen to me, and we're standing over there. We need to get over there because it's, you know, God's everywhere all the time, but there's times when there's like an open heaven in one spot, or there may be an angel standing in one spot, and something's happening right there. And I think God wants to just see, are we sensitive to what's going on? Are we watching? And then are we willing to engage in what heaven's doing? How much do we want? It's funny. We were teasing Brother Richard. As he started talking about that, he started getting drunk again. He's just telling us. And one of these ladies looked at him and said, you're getting drunk again. His eyes started glazing over and he started, he started he slurring his words. <laughs> he couldn't talk good, <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> he just got crazy. Just, he said, after that happened to me, after I danced for two hours, he said, for the next two months, I wasn't worth nothing. 
I was just under the influence of God all the time. Just ooh, couldn't get nothing done much. And he said, but, but the only thing is, he said, Darla, come back in church next week with that cloth, and I'd run the other way. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, we're not supposed to hinder the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to quench the Spirit. What more is available? Amen. What, I guess he was thinking, I can't dance another two hours. I just can't handle that. <laughs> but, it, I mean, if your body's so, uh, if all the pain is gone, God, what, what will you do in us if we'll just surrender and keep running after heaven? Keep God, we've got to be saturated if we're going to affect an outside world because there's nothing more awesome than people are in your face or shaking their finger or whatever, and the power of God just hits them. You don't even have to say nothing. Just look at them and smile. I mean, we can be walking in such a presence of the Lord he can get on people. We, somebody's told us it's got to be their will that God's a gentleman and he'll do whatever, you know. He won't do anything to bypass your whatever you're willing to let him do. But tell that to Saul of Tarsus. I mean, he was going to kill Christians. Then he became one instantly. Just in a second. God, bring us some more Saul of Tarsus. Bring us some more. Woo, when we're, because stuff's coming. And, and, and if you're a, a Christian that don't have no Holy Ghost, it's going to be rough. If there's no spirit there. But with the spirit, whoo, you can just stand. It ain't guaranteeing that something, you know, that something isn't going to happen. There's people. Stephen stood against the Pharisees and said, don't you see? And they stoned him to death. But hallelujah, he was seeing Jesus. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. His angel, his face shone like an angel. They couldn't even stand to look at it. We had a young man. We took a group of kids down to Brownsville and come back, and he went into school, and his face was glowing that the teachers couldn't stand to look at it. Come on, heaven. Come on, God. Come on. I think I'd say, come on, people. Come on. We need to get it going on. We need to get so saturated. There's something attractive about the Holy Spirit. It's not attractive to religious people, though. But it sure is attractive to lost people. The Lord didn't have any trouble attracting lost people. But he was always in conflict with religious people. I'm going to read a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Do you know who, who we're talking about? Who spoke the word and created the heavens and the earth. Big G. I think too many of us got little G. He can't handle my problems. The one who created heaven and earth, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, cast down, excuse me, in the face of Jesus Christ. So it's his, his the very the light that pierced into the darkness and created everything that's come and pierced into our life. 
pierced into our hearts and gave us the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Woo. That's why it ought to be this little light of mine. It ain't this little light of mine. It's this light that you can't contain of mine. This great big huge light. This light that will blind you if you get too close. Ooh, it's going to shine. The same light. And, and the words are actually the same words. The same light. But we have this treasure. I'm going to skip down a little. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. One, one version says in these clay, in these frail clay pottery, we have this treasure that the excellence of the power may, may be of God and not of us. Woo! <laughs> when people look at us, we're an odd thing. We're a strange thing. We're like, how could God use somebody like you? God uses the foolish things to confound the wisdom of man. He takes those things that everybody else say, oh, they, there ain't no way. Woo, that's, I mean, that's when he shines the best is when it looks impossible. How could that person be preaching? How could they be singing like that? How could they go around the world and preach the gospel? How could they go into other nations? How could they do that? Because they've fully trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've given their self over to him to do the impossible. I mean, look at the 12 disciples he chose. You know, Saul was probably around when Jesus was choosing. But it, it wasn't none of the religious crowd that Jesus chose. He chose the fishermen and the tax collectors and the ones that everybody else looked down on. I mean, that's why he prayed all night. Because he's probably out there saying, Oh, Father, do you want me to pick that one? <laughs> really? That one, too. Peter, he's got a really big mouth. He's going to be a lot of trouble. I mean, he had an all night prayer meeting. I bet he's walking the mountaintop shaking his head. Oh, Lord. Father, can't you give me some, just some halfway normal people? So don't feel bad when he chooses us. And don't, you know, we don't have to go around thinking we're somebody. God saw my gifts and he saw my talents and he chose me because I'm somebody. Well, you're probably the one. If that is the case, you're fixing to go through a ride. Because you're going to find out you ain't somebody. You may be a Joseph at the beginning. Oh, I got a dream. Man, everybody's going to be bound down to me. It's going to be awesome. Hallelujah. I'm going to be over my father and all my brothers. Woo! And he went to Oh, guess what? I had a dream. I'm going to be over all you guys. Yeah, in about 20 years after you go through the pit and the palace and every place else, about 20 years will get you down to a place of humility to where I, when I do put you in that place, you'll have a whole different attitude than you have right now. I mean, there's no more beautiful story than his brothers coming in the room and him revealing himself and saying, what you meant for bad, God has meant for the good. Now, 15 years ago, he wouldn't have had that attitude. He'd had you sorry, low-down bunch of hoodlums. I can't believe you've put me in a pit, sold me into slavery. How dare you do that to me? See, some of us still got that attitude about people around us, and God's got to sh shift that attitude around a little bit, and we're going to go through the process because he wants something great inside. I mean, he's taking this frail, frail clay pots and he's putting the light of heaven inside of us. Man, 
He's putting the opportunity to lay hands on a sick person and then be raised up. A blind person, their eyes open up. A deaf person, they begin to see. And if you got the wrong attitude, you could use that for the wrong reason. Are we really ready for people to line up in front of the church to wait to get in the door from 12 o'clock? Are we, do we really have the attitude that's ready for that? Do we have the attitude, thank you God for sending people in this house. We're here and we're ready to serve them. Because if God brings revival, they think, whoa, this is going to be awesome. Guess what? It's about to become work. I went to that revival in Missouri called the Cornfield Revival. Anybody hear that? No, they call it Kansas City World International or something. But for two or three years, it was out in the middle of a cornfield in Missouri. I mean, you had to stop and ask somebody where to turn off to go through all the cornfields to get out to this little traditional white-looking church. And the whole town was 300 people. So CrossFit's got a chance. But in that little white church, they had about 150 members. And it wasn't all that community. They were from around. Some of them from right there. And we, me and a friend of mine drove up there one night to go to revival. And it's pretty amazing. I think they had about five or 600 in that church that night from all over the world. But they had people in the parking lots guiding people in with those orange flashlights, landing lights, you know, over here, over here. They had people greeting coming in the doors. They had people in an overflow room, waiting room before, and they had people in the sanctuary. That I mean, they were serving in all kinds of places. And I asked the pastor, how many of your people show up on a regular? They went four nights a week. How many people of yours show up on a regular basis? Because this is pretty amazing. It's a lot of work. He said, well, I have about 150 members. Generally, at least 97% show up all four nights. And there's not somebody here they call and there's some reason they're not here because we'd made a covenant with God before revival started. God, if you will do this, if you will do this, God, I will lay my life down for what y'all change my schedule. I'll do what I have to do, God. Let us, God, let us host a move of heaven, God. And he let them host it. I mean, it was 20 years, about 20 years into their church when he made a visit. He decided he was so burnt out. He went to Brownsville, spent two weeks down there, was driving home and saying, I really don't think nothing's happened to me at all. But when he walked in the back door, heaven fell. I mean, people are jumping. All of a sudden, they started jumping and shouting and running all over the room, and the power of God just fell. You just don't know when it's going to happen. It may be when you walk in your door at home sometime that heaven falls right there. It may be when you walk on your job, you just don't know when heaven's about to fall right there. Well, it's when you start saying, here I am, Lord. I mean, we meet, and we, we may meet for a week or tw- pray for 12 hours. And Well, I don't think anything's going on. Well, are we committed to what heaven wants to do? Do we? The thing is, is there evidence of him doing it in the past? Yeah, there's more than enough evidence. There's history that's written about what God's done. What, it, what caused what took place? About every major revival, you can go and look, and prayer is what took place to cause it to begin to happen. And people that were open and said, here I am, Lord, come. When people were faithful, God came. And if he's done it before, he's no respecter of persons. If he's done it before and if he's done it in the past, God, why would you pass this by? We need it now as much as any time in history has ever needed it. 
We've never had a time in history when there's a hundred genders. You read about that stuff, you say, how, how ridiculous can people get? I don't think we ever had a time in the past where they wanted to let the baby be born and sit on the table and decide whether it's going to live or not. I don't think we have ever had a time in the past where churches, some churches were so full of people and so little of the Holy Spirit in the place. That God's command was to go make disciples. And we think we can do that in 45 minutes. Because there's so much out there that's pulling on us. Why would you want to why would you want to be faithful in church if it's just a matter of measuring entertainment? If it's just a matter of how well can they entertain me and my kids this morning? How well can they give me something that will help me a little bit? And then, I mean, it's easy if you get upset to go down the road to the next place. But there's nothing, I mean, there's no biblical word for what's taking place. There's no example or no blueprint for that type of discipleship or ministry. How could our churches who say we believe in the Bible, we believe in the Word of God, how could we be so far from what the Word of God said? How could we say we don't want no Holy Spirit, nobody speaking in tongues, we don't want nobody dancing, we don't want nobody raising their hands? Well, you might as well rip half these pages out of here. We don't want tongues and interpretation. If you're going to do that, do it in the back room. We just want everybody to come in, enjoy themselves a little bit, have some coffee and donuts. Keep heaven out because heaven's going to mess things up. But guess what? If some, some place in some town decides to let heaven come in, there's nothing the rest of the town can do about it. Ha, ha, ha. Woo. Ha, ha. They may run, they may talk, but they can't hide. We have this earthen treasure, these vessels, these clay pots, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I think that's the words of revival right there. Because heaven shows up, hell's going to show up. Oh, well. If we get enough of heaven, it'll be oh well. If you don't get enough of heaven, it'll be I need to quit. See, it's just a lack of saturation. It's a lack of submission to heaven. It's a lack of letting ourselves die. Because the enemy's going to come and try to devour at those places where you haven't given up yet. We haven't surrendered yet. I mean, why would Jesus say things like, let the dead bury the dead? Ooh, that's kind of intense. When you just get ready to go out the door, the hot water heater blows up. So turn the water off, keep coming. (laughs) That knocks the devil in the head. I mean, you want to get revenge, don't let him stop you. Because he don't want you in this place going after heaven. He don't. Because, see, what we don't realize, sometimes we think, I'm not important. It's not important for me to be there. But it is. For every person in here that lifts up their voice, it increases the, the uh, magnitude of what's going on. It increases the momentum. I think of, of it like this is a big bathtub, and it's half full. When I get in it, the water rises a little bit. Yeah, how many? I mean, somebody's got a few kids. You put one in the bathtub, 
You only draw the bathtub so full. Because, you know, when you put some more in, the water's going up. I think of a church as, as a bathtub. If four of us get in, the water goes up a little bit. But if 30 or 40 of us get in, <laughs> it may get to the place where it actually goes over the side. So, you know, well, all I'm doing is getting in the tub. Well, it's helping to raise the water level. If the water level gets high enough, it goes over the fences that, that separate our churches and denominations and people. See, so it can get high enough that it goes over those things. I read about this, this woman missionary, and I've been in the, in the, in the village in Alaska. And they had revival in Barrow, Alaska for two weeks. Wow, it's, it's a pretty amazing story. Uh, well, it started with a man that got born again that was an Eskimo. And he wound up trapping a bunch of animals, killing the skins, going down to Washington, the city of Washington, Seattle, Washington, going to Bible school for a couple of years, then coming back up the coast. Pretty amazing story because this happened in the early 1900s, right around after Azusa Street, 1907, 1910. And he gets back up there, and he goes back to his village because he wants to win them to Jesus. There's a Presbyterian church in their village, but none of them will listen to him. They're always mocking and ridiculing and talking about him until one day a freighter that comes in the summertime comes up and three of these guys that have been mocking him so much, smoking, blowing in his face, beers, just challenging him with everything, it, it comes up and when the freighter comes up it drops the deck and when it drops the deck it lands on this seven-year-old boy that is the son of one of those three men that have been mocking and talking. And when the father runs down there and sees his boy laying all broken to pieces, he says, go get the man of God. Yeah, the one he's been mocking, the one he's been talking about, one he's been ridiculing. Now he knows, he knows where to go, though. There's people been mocking and talking about and sneaking around and snickering. But I'm telling you, when cancer shows up, when sickness shows up, they're going to be saying, go get, they know God. They're a little bit weird, but they talk to God. They get the man of God, he comes down there, they put the boy in his arms all broke up. He's holding him up to God and praying and all of a sudden, you, and you, he's, they said you could hear snap, crackle, pop, all the bones come into line. The boy jumped up out of his arms, hit the ground and run up to the house. <laughs> Woo! I met that. It's a lot of gears, but. That was around 1960 when that happened to him, 1961 or 62. I met that young man. We went and prayed for him in that village. He was older now, and he was on his bed, and he shared that story with us that this I am the one had happened to him. <clears throat> but anyway, in, in Barrow, this is in uh, Wainwright. In Barrow is 90 miles north of there. They had a revival. This evangelist came in up there for two weeks, had the glory of God. Well, the Eskimo man, he still can't get people to follow him. So he walks the 90 miles in the snow and stuff to get to Barrow to say, would you please send him out to our village? Would you send us a pastor to our village? In the midst of that, a woman is in Maine. She's a lobster fisherman. 
and she pastors a little Assembly of God church there. God puts it on her heart to go to Alaska. So she wrote a letter and sent it to the Alaska district, and they sent it out to Barrow. And when the guy, the Eskimo man, when he got to the pastor's house and knocked on the door and was in there pleading, please send us a missionary, the pastor opens the letter up and reads the letter that the woman had sent the very day that the Eskimo man got there and knocked on the door. I mean, God's got, I mean, he knows what's going on. She winds up coming up there, getting support, coming up there, spending time learning how to be a missionary, comes out. I mean, she has amazing, she comes to Barrow. They fly her on a mail plane over to Wainwright. She almost dies. They land out there because this is in the 60s. This is when it's pretty rough. Land out there. She has to walk a mile in like minus 25 degrees. Gets to her, uh, the store, rents a little hut to stay in. Winds up catching pneumonia in the hut. The store owner comes over to her hut and sees her there dying of pneumonia. Ask her what's going on. Now, he don't know Jesus. She said, I'm about to die. But if you pray for me, I believe I'll be healed. He's not even a believer. He said, I'm not praying for you. She said, well, I'll be okay. I'm going to heaven. But will you be okay if you don't pray? He prays for her, and she gets totally healed instantly. Now, I mean, God will mess up our theology. But after she got healed, he got Jesus. So anyway, they wound up getting the evangelist that came to Barrow to come to Wainwright the next year. And he comes and preaches. See, there is a Presbyterian church still. Then there's the Assembly of God church now they have built. He comes and preaches. Man, revival breaks out. Almost everybody in the village, there's only 250 people in the village, almost everybody in the village comes and gets born again. The lay pastor at the Presbyterian church, the main pastor is gone. The lay pastor is saying, God, everybody's going to the Assembly of God church now. We won't have nobody. Look, it's all they've all left us. The lay pastor, he said, Sunday morning, I didn't figure anybody's going to show up. I just went in there, and I laid down on the altar and began to pray. He said, about 10 o'clock when church started, I started hearing footprints coming in the door. He said, my church was full. Their church was full. He said, I started visiting the revival because I was seeing what was going on. Then our Presbyterian pastor came back, and he went to see the revival. To decide whether we would accept this or not. And the Presbyterian pastor said, I have to receive it because I've seen men in that revival. If you took a rifle and stuck it to their head and threatened to kill them if they didn't receive Jesus a month ago, they would have said, pull the trigger. But now the Spirit of God's on them and they're saying, I want Jesus. So the two pastors here, the two pastors, the woman missionary and the Presbyterian pastor said, made a deal. We're not going to do anything that will hinder what God's doing. However the people want to work between us, that's what we're going to do because we want to see heaven come to this village. About five people in the whole village didn't get saved during that whole time. Ministers came out of that revival that spread around northern Alaska and preached the gospel. And I got to go in that village about six years ago and preach. And met some of the elderly people that were still there. They broke the ice to water baptize people. 
and said the water heated up to over 50 degrees. <laughs> wow, it was really getting hot, wasn't it? <laughs> Where they were baptizing people. And I met some of those saints. They couldn't come to church, so we went out and visited them because they were elderly and couldn't get out. One man tells me a story. His, his wife, they, they had been part of the Presbyterian church, but his wife started going to the Assembly of God church. He said, I'd stand in front of the door and block her and say, you are not going. I refuse to let her go. He said, one day I was sitting in my chair right there waiting to stop her. While I was waiting to stop her, all of a sudden I left the building. It said, I went up into heaven and I had a little talk with Jesus. And when I came back down, I told my wife it's fine for her to go wherever she wanted to go. <laughs> but they're having incredible supernatural things like that happening. When, you know, they made a decision, we'll work together. When the river rises, it gets over the fence lines. Those things that have separated in the past no longer seem to separate us. God, let us get in the tub so much that it raises the water up and it gets over all the fence lines, over everything that's around God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Woo. Man, we get When we get born again, we're not going to die. This body's going to fade away. But see, if you're not ready for heaven right now, you're not going when the day comes. It's created. The Bible says you're born from above. It's a brand new person, a brand new being. Now you're a spiritual being. You're ready for heaven. This old body will take its last breath, but the spirit man's not. He's just going to be changed. Woo! We don't look at the things. <clears throat> Our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And once you get older, you realize how much of a moment because time seems to fly by. The years quick pass quicker as we get older. Things, I mean, the next thing you know, it'll be 2020. Woo! Things happen quicker. It's but a moment. Affliction is but a moment. I was sick for six months out of the year 2015 with my heart and stuff. But now it just seems like a moment. Women go through the pain of childbirth. And it seems like, will this ever end? Five years later, it was just a moment. We're just passing through a moment. The trials and the affliction is just for a moment. What we're going after is eternal. It's everlasting. It lasts forever. Every soul that comes into the kingdom is forever. Everything we do for him on this earth is eternal. It's forever. I love to read the story of Cornelius. And the Bible says Cornelius was a man who prayed and gave alms. And he said he was praying one day and an angel showed up. said, the Lord's senior memorial in heaven. A memorial has come up before the Lord. A road sign. Here's a man that's not even born again. But a road sign has come up in heaven. And it says, Cornelius is praying and giving. Whew. Man, don't you know heaven sees what we're doing down here? 
It'd be a sad thing to get to heaven and there ain't no sign with your name on it. <laughs> Barbara was praying, fasting, feeding the hungry, preaching around the world. I mean, heaven's got to have a lot of signs. And those things are there forever. It's eternal. It's not going anywhere. Woo. Cornelius is praying. Man, Cornelius is praying and activated heaven. Heaven came down, began to do something. These afflictions are just for a moment. Sleeping on a little air mattress in India with a bathroom that has a five-gallon bucket and a hole in the ground. That light affliction is just for a moment compared to those Indian people that got born again, that got healed. Man, it's so powerful. We, we went to a village about six or seven miles away. These ladies that had been coming that were part of the pastor's congregation that had been coming, they said, would you come visit our husbands? So we went over to this other. They were walking five or six miles every night to be in revival. So we went over to their village, went in their grass hut. It's funny they had a TV set in there. I don't know if it worked or not. It's strange to see a TV set in a grass hut. And they wanted to bless. They had just bought this two-burner gas stove. It was a big deal because if you don't have that, you cook with coconut hulls. You light them on fire. Now you got a stove. Just turn the button, hit the match, you got fire. And they wanted us to bless their stove. You get a pot on here and you put some white, creamy, I don't know if it's milk or what it is, and you heat it up till it boils and you bless it. So I don't understand all that, but it didn't seem bad, so I did it. But it opened the door to a real conversation with her husband. And it's pretty easy with him to say, what are the chances... How many Americans have ever been in your hut? How many white people? Well, nobody. What's the chances of me being in your house right now out of 1.2 billion, billion Indians in India? What's the chances of us being in your hut? Pretty high odds. Tell you that Jesus loves you. That God sent us from America to come into your hut to tell you that Jesus loves you and he wants to come in your heart and he wants to live inside of you. Now, what's the chances of that happening? So are you ready to accept that God sent us here to your hut so he could come in your life and live? Yes! <laughs> and that was the easiest people to win to Jesus. So he prayed and asked Jesus to come into his heart. We went back there a year or so later and he was in church serving God. He meant what he said when he prayed. Another lady's husband had the same thing happen. We went to a, another house, and the man was the keeper of the Hindu temple. He was like a deacon in the Hindu temple. When we stepped foot on his porch, he said, I heard you guys were coming from God, and I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm like, oh, man. Woo! There was a light affliction. Sleeping in a place that's hot, sleeping on a little air mattress, sleeping on the floor of a, whoo, a church, taking a bath with a five-gallon bucket. 
Wasn't no affliction if you served in the war, was it? That was a light thing. But for me, it was affliction. <laughs> but you know what? The afflictions for a moment. When you get up the next day and there's people waiting at the church door to be prayed for. When there's people that have come 50 or 60 kilometers and said, can you pray for us? I'm like, how did you even hear about this going on? And we saw more, I think we saw about six of us in seven days probably saw 740 miracles. But too many people don't want the light affliction. Would you change the light affliction for 700 miracles? Would you change the hardship to see hundreds of people come to Jesus? And if you have... If, if, if you'd ever get a taste of it, you'd never be satisfied with anything else. God, that's what part of revival is. It's, you know, if you think about work, you're going to say, I don't think I can do that. But if you see what God's doing and he's moving in your midst, you can say, I can do anything. Man, I can, I can sleep a few hours. I mean, it's amazing when the Holy Ghost comes because um, crack is a counterfeit. I mean, it makes you stay up for seven days in a row. You get wired up on the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good word or not, but <laughs> it's amazing how many days you can stay up. Woo! He's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight. Of glory. Woo! That light affliction is working in us for an exceeding weight of His glory. And when we'll, when we'll go through that affliction and we're not looking at the affliction, we're not looking at the trial, we're not looking at the storm. Woo! We're looking at heaven showing up, man. Heaven showing up. Y'all meeting in church four or five days a week? Yeah, how do you do that? Heaven's showing up. <laughs> my body, my natural body is not able to, but heaven's showing up. I mean, if Eli Elijah could be up on the mountaintop and Ahab heads down the mountain in his chariot and horses, Elijah gathers up his skirt and take off running. He outruns the horses. Woo! Could you see somebody bust out of this building, run down the main street, run past cars? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that was a man wired on the Holy Ghost. Super fuel. I mean, if, if poor old brother Richard and all of his pain could get out of it, he said, the more I dance, the better I felt. <laughs> that don't, in the natural, that don't happen. When you get up and start trying to move around, the more you move, the more you're going to hurt. The more he moved, the more the better he felt. Woo, God hit us with that stuff. That when we see our old friends, they'll say, who are you? What happened to you? You left and somebody else came. Something's different about you. Something looks different about you. Something's shining inside of you. What's going on? I got some stuff. Do you want this? I got some weed here or something. 
Are you crazy? Would I change this glow for your weed? Are you out of your mind? I mean, I love it when drug addicts really get hooked on the Holy Ghost because there's, there ain't no high like the most high. I remember taking this young man with me. He, he dealt in drugs most of his life. And we were in, broke, a revival broke out in Dulce, New Mexico, where we're going to go in August on an Apache reservation. Man, he was getting wrecked. He'd do some silly stuff. One night we had an anointing service with a big bowl of oil, and we were just taking our hands and putting it on people. At the end of the service, he said, oh, this is so good. I'm just going to drink this oil. <laughs> what was left of it? He drank a little bit of it. <laughs> but anyway, he was talking in some lingo I didn't quite understand. But he said, Brother Bill, this stuff is like 100%. It's not stepped on. It's not cut. It's <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I never had nothing like this. (laughs) I'm like, if you say so, I believe you. Woo. (laughs) I don't want no watered down Holy Ghost. I don't want no Holy Ghost been stepped on. Cut down, put some additives in there. Ho! Shoo! Sataraba, Koryataraba, Baba, Shataraba. Bangaraba, Sata. Read one more. <laughs> Acts 14. It happened at Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. And so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So let's just call them unbelieving believers. Unbelieving believers. There's a lot of people that really don't believe in anything besides they do believe Jesus is the Son of God. But anything after that is like unbelieving. How? You know, why, why does it stretch people so much that when you really come in contact with God, stuff's going to happen? It just stretches our Western mindset. God, don't let us be unbelieving believers. And so they went around poisoning their minds. You know, a lot of people were going to Toronto, a lot of Baptists and stuff, Toronto, Canada, from up in New York and all around. It's really, revival is getting into a lot of Baptist churches up there until a man named Hank Hanegraaff wrote a book called Counterfeit Revival. And he tried to explain why all that stuff was not real. And a lot of them bought it and read it and stopped going. They let some man's theory trump over the experience they'd had with God. You know, it's amazing. There's some powerful videos on that movement up there where psychiatrists did us. I mean, they went in and did an actual study of people that had been in mental health facilities that they had been working with for years. And they said it's amazing in one or two services, one encounter, people were totally in their right mind. There's a powerful documentary on how 
a psychiatrist working with mentally troubled people and how he was saying, this is amazing. Stuff I couldn't do, stuff I've been working for five years and in one encounter, all that stuff's taken care of. Marriages being restored. Health being restored. But see, I mean, God, God takes the foolish things. How could they become in their right mind? They just laid on the floor and shook for 45 minutes. How come when they got up, everything's good? It ought to all be shook to pieces. But when they got up, they're perfectly in their right mind. How could they weep and cry and laugh and then God's put their marriage together? It's the foolish things that confounds the wisdom of men. I mean, it could almost make men, I've got my doctor's degree. I've been counseling with them for five years. There's no way one time in that service could change everything. See, man wants to exalt itself above God. How could God do that? How could God do that? He created every little cell. He created every little neuron. He created everything up there to make us operate like we should operate. I mean, he can readjust and put things back in place in a moment. Bam! It's all back in place. Come on, heaven. God, we're going to start believing. We're going to start believing for the unusual, the miraculous. God, there's a book written in, uh, I believe, the 1850s in Germany. And a friend of mine said, you need to read this. I don't know the name right now, but I could find it for you. This guy in Germany, this pastor in Germany, they, they lived in this town. And they took in this mentally ill woman in their parsonage. And she was demon possessed. They had to have somebody watch her 24 hours a day. And the one time that somebody went out of the room to do something, she tied the curtains around her neck and jumped out the window, tried to kill herself. And they kept praying and kept watching. And one night, they heard this scream all over the whole community. And that principality that was inside of her left. And he said it was like an open heaven. People started coming. And they would come, it was a strange saying because he wasn't a Catholic priest, but they would come for a confession. From 7 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night, he would be seeing people individually, and they would come and confess their sins. He'd ask God to forgive them, and they'd be healed. All kind of stuff, everything, from mental illness, physical problems. And some people would come, and they wouldn't confess. They would, they would be putting on a show, and he said, you're not confessing everything. God would show him. And some of them would go away without making things right. They'd take their sickness away with them. But for months, this went on. After that, one woman got set free. It's just like Saul. When he got set free, it said there was great peace in the land because that principality left. That one woman. But it, when I read the first part of that book, it was like reading The, the Exorcist. I was dealing with the heart problems in 2015. I started reading that. I was getting scared reading it. I'm like, I never read nothing. I mean, there was all kind of strange things going on, but he kept battling. It finally got to where the, men, the mentally ill were coming into his church, and they put a wall up 
all the mentally ill people over here, the rest of the people over here. They were all getting healed, moving over here. His church denomination came to him and said, you cannot have any more confessions and you can't lay your hands on nobody. I mean, where do we get these brilliant theologians? When everybody's getting healed, everybody's getting, and you're saying, you can't do that no more. Are you crazy? So then they would come in church and he wouldn't even touch them. He'd just preach and they'd get healed. Woo! So it's an amazing book, but it was a kind of a terrifying book also of what God can do. With, you know, I've never seen any testimonies that much of mentally ill people getting totally delivered and healed. So, God, if you could do it for them, if you could do it for that brother, that pastor in Germany, God, do it for us. Let us see it happen. Let the demonics, the demoniacs be set free, Lord. We're running after a prize of a high calling. Man, when you're running after a big prize, it takes a lot of effort. You don't win a gold medal by going out and training a week before. You give your life to it. The unbelievers poisoned their minds against the brethren. So what, what, did, what, did, what did they do? They left there. Go find another place. No, it says, therefore, they stayed there a long time. Man, that took fortitude. Now there's some places God tells you, dust your feet off and go on. But he obviously must have told them, stay here. Because one thing, they had some believers. They stayed a long time speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. Granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Woo! So even with the unbelieving believers, even with the crowd of religious people, he said by the word of his grace, he kept doing miracles right in the midst of them. What a terrible thing to have to stand before the judgment seat of God when he demonstrated himself right before your eyes. And you still renounced. That would be a scary thing. You know, Jesus, in his own hometown, they said he couldn't do many miracles because of unbelief. So sometimes we, we think, again, when we're part of the church, that maybe we're not a speaker, that what I, what's going on in my life doesn't affect things, but it does. When he came to a place where there was great expectation, everybody was healed. When he came to his own place where there was unbelief, even Jesus said he healed a few sick people. Even Jesus couldn't bring the healing that God wanted to do because of people's unbelief. So the people in the crowd had a responsibility to believe that God was about to do something. So we have a responsibility to have an expectation and a belief. Um, one of our ladies back home is reading a book called When Heaven Invades Earth by Bill Johnson. And the very start of the book is a wedding. And the wedding is two people met because they were in a ministry to the homeless. And so they would go, you know, go out on the streets and minister to the homeless. So when they, he proposed they were getting married, they said, this is what we want. When they sent out the list that the bride sends out, or, you know, this is the gifts. You know, you put your whatever in the store and people come and pick out the gifts. They said, we want sleeping bags. We want um, bargains. We want gloves and coats. She didn't want dishes or, or uh, any of that stuff, anything for her house. She said, I want stuff for these people because we're going to have a wedding feast and we're going to invite all these homeless people to come to our wedding. Man, when I read that, I started crying. Because I'm like, what woman, I mean, that's her day. What woman would give up her day to serve the homeless? And they started coming in, and this guy came in on crutches and a brace on his leg, and he was pretty messed up. And they ran over to the pastor and said, this is awesome. This guy's about to get. When people came in that needed him, they were getting excited. They're like, man, something's about to happen in this place. Before, and they told Pastor Bill, said, anytime you're preaching, if God gives you a word of knowledge or something, you need to stop and tell it to somebody and pray for healing. You do whatever God tells you to do. 
And by the time the end of the wedding, and then they're having the reception, and they were serving the homeless people a big banquet that day. And by the end of that reception, the guy had the brace off, the crutches off, and he's walking. And before long, he had a job, and he was a part of the church. Woo! God, let us have an expectancy. The people are going to get, people are going to have an encounter with God. They're going to get healed, delivered, set free. We expect, God, that anybody that walks in those doors, God, something is going to happen to them. Even if they sit in the back, it's going to get on them, Lord. They can't help it. They're in this place, God. We've declared and decreed, Lord, that heaven is in this place. Wherever they go, wherever they come, if they just go in the back to eat a meal, heaven is going to get on them, Lord. Heaven is going to touch them. There's going to be healing in their body. Sickness and disease has to go in the name of Jesus. We're expecting it. We won't take anything less than that, God. It's happening, Lord. It's happening right now, Jesus, right now. Heaven! Lord, you're calling us to attention. And God, we're, we're showing up. I believe you're on a recruitment time, God. And we're showing up and we're saying, here, God, we're enlisting in the Lord's army. Three people in the New Testament called soldiers. Woo! That's beyond a friend. That's beyond a servant. That's beyond a son. God, I believe in this place you're raising up soldiers, God. Mighty men and women of God. Mighty in battle, Lord. Strong in your might. Full of courage, determination. God, we will see revival come to cross it. We will see heaven invade earth. We will see the water levels rise, God. We will see saturation, Lord. We will see miracles, God. We will see healings, God. Because you're able, God. Woo! I believe God's about to stir something. He's about to stir something inside of us. That light affliction only endures for a short time. But this eternal weight of glory is coming on us, Lord. This weight of glory, God. This carrying this weight of glory that brings authority, God, that brings power, that brings miracles, Lord. Woo! If you're here tonight and there's something, the, the Bible says in Hebrews that you lay down every weight, every chain, every sin that would besiege you, that would hold you back from running this race. God, search our hearts right now. Know our ways, God. Don't, don't let anything hold us back from running hard and fast, God. From being good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Endure hardship as a good soldier. God, because it's going to be worth it, God. What we're going to see, what we're already seeing, God. We have to say thank you for what we're already seeing. But God, it's just the beginning. God, it's just, it's just the light rain. God, it's not moved into the thunderstorms yet of heaven. God, it's just beginning to rain on it. The water level's just beginning to rise on us, God. Oh, we're just beginning to move into the things that you would have us. God, you're stirring an expectation inside of us of a heavier weight of glory. A heavier weight of glory, God. You said if, if we would give you glory, you would give us your glory. Ho! Woo! Hey, Rabashata. If there's anything you need to lay down, you need to lay it down. Woo! Don't let anything hinder you. What hindered you from running the race? 
Don't let anything hinder us tonight. Count the cost. He said, count the cost before you build a tower. We're counting the cost, but I say, count the cost. What will happen if we don't build the tower? What will happen if we don't have revival? What will happen to America if we don't have awakening? What will happen to our children and our grandchildren if we don't have a move of God? It's not what it's going to cost me to have it. It's what it's going to cost me not to have it. If you're in this place tonight and you're saying, I'm going to have it. God, I believe you're going to raise an expectation in every person, God. An expectancy. God, a a new measure of faith inside of us, Lord. To see the unusual, God. There's going to be no doubt when we go to pray, God. We're going to believe you. I believe God's about to release. Lord, we thank you that you've been pouring out your rain on us, God, but we need more saturation. God, I want every part of myself to be filled with your spirit, God. I want to be overflowing, Lord. If you're in here tonight, you want to be overflowing. I want you to come. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for more. We're going to pray for increase, God. Abundance for every good work, Lord. Pray for fire, God. More fire. More fire, heaven. More fire. Come on. Come on, heaven. We've got to have heaven. Come on. Our city needs heaven. Our schools need heaven. Our businesses need heaven. Our children need heaven. Our families need heaven. Get soaked, Lord. Saturate your people. Saturate us, Lord. Bring alignment in our brains, Lord, in our spirits, God. Thank you again for tuning in with us. If this word ministered to you, please consider sowing a seed to Freedom Ministries at freedomministriescrossit.com. We have made it available to you on the giving page. Thank you again. Go and be blessed in Jesus' name.